everybody, this is Todd, and I just want to let you know that the episode you're about to listen to was recorded back at the end of 2022. Um, we have a little bit of a backup on some of our editing, and so, you know, a little bit of a backlog on episodes. And so some of the things that you hear us talking about in this episode might sound a little bit out of date. For example, there's a television show that we're greatly anticipating at the po- at that point in time which is already out, and another show um, that I talk about, I actually recommend, both of those shows on Netflix have already been canceled. So um, we didn't know that when we were talking about them, so hope you'll forgive us. This is still a great episode, and we hope that you will enjoy it. So without further ado, here you go. Welcome back to The Drip. We are the podcast where academics of color sit around to discuss great books. Each episode features a free-flowing conversation about one book that leads us to a broader conversation about race, culture, and politics. All the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops or in each other's homes or when we are still in our own homes because, well, we're all living slightly closer to each other now but are still in different cities and states. And there's also still the reality of COVID, but also the flu and RSV and all these germs that keep raging on. So we hope that you're all staying safe and healthy. I'm Anita Chikachur, the host for the show, and I teach in the Department of Educational Studies at Carleton College. Crystal. Hi, I'm Crystal Moten, and I am a public historian who works for a national museum, and I live in Chicago. Woohoo! Todd. My name is Todd Lawrence. I teach African-American literature and expressive culture, folklore, and cultural studies at the University of St. Thomas. Awesome. All right. So today we are discussing Attica Locke's novel, The Cutting Season. Yet another mystery novel for us. Um, So Attica Locke is a fiction author and writer and producer for television and film from Houston, Texas. Her first novel, Blackwater Rising, was nominated for an Edgar Award, an NAACP Image Award, as well as a Los Angeles Times Book Prize. The Cutting Season, which is the one we're going to be discussing, was the winner of an Ernest Gaines Award for Literary Excellence. So she's been on a lot of different shows as a writer and producer. So she was a writer and producer for the Fox drama Empire. Uh, She was a writer and producer for Netflix, When They See Us, and the Hulu adaption of Little Fires Everywhere. And most recently, she served as executive producer and showrunner for the Netflix limited series From Scratch, which was an adaptation of her sister's uh, Tembi Locke's 2019 memoir. So spoiler alert, before we dig in, just a reminder that, you know, when we discuss our books, we will talk about everything. As you may know, we do call ourselves the All Spoilers Collective. So consider this your perpetual, universal, all-encompassing spoiler alerts. And like our last book, this is a mystery novel. So, you know, take the spoiler alert seriously if you don't want to know who did the murder of the murder mystery novel. All right. So I wanted to start us off by talking a little bit about the setting for the novel. And I was saying, like, you know, before we started recording that I think similar to like when we read Blanche and the Lamb, I had to kind of keep reminding myself kind of like the timeline and the timing of this book. Because I feel like it's, you know, definitely set in the contemporary era, but the kinds of dynamics that existed between Karen and the Clancy boys, I was like, wait, this is in the 90s? Um, But I think it was also just a good reminder of like, this is set on a plantation, right? And even though obviously it's like, you know, not a plantation in the same way that it was uh, before the Civil War, before, right, kind of what happened, it's still a plantation. And I was thinking about it because towards the end of the novel, right, they find out that the family is like selling the plantation and like they're going to be selling it to the Groban uh, Farms Company. 
and this is on 343. And so they're sort of saying, um, so Karen is like talking to the workers there and she says, you know, the Groban Corporation is taking over the land. And one of the workers, Shep says, no shit, Groveland, the farm people? Val looked disappointed. Lorraine too, though, for entirely different reasons. It's gonna be nothing but cane out there, she salt. Nothing but Mexicans and machines for days. You know, black folks can't ever hold on to nothing good. Dell, more sullen than usual, said, it's a plantation, Lorraine. Yeah, but it was ours. Oh, hell, Lorraine, it was never ours. And I just thought that was like a really good exchange to kind of like start to think about the dynamics of this place and this place that, you know, gets rented out, presumably to mostly white families to like have their celebrations and weddings. And so I just wanted to know what you all thought about the setting and how you were thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's a good a good place to start. Um, and I think our awareness and surprise of the dynamics of this novel, they might they might just be based on kind of our particular set of perspectives and politics, because thinking about this novel being in New Orleans, right, and thinking about New Orleans and the tourist economy or tourism economy in New Orleans, one, and then also kind of the party and event economy, wedding party economy and, and the central role plantations still play in that. I think about that. But then I also think about the setting of Belle V in um, New Orleans in contrast to what we now know, the Museum Whitney Plantation, right? And the Whitney Plantation in Louisiana, which is right outside of New Orleans, it has been hailed as the only plantation that actually considers slavery and it's from the perspective of the enslaved. And so in, in putting Whitney Plantation in conversation with this novel, this novel, the setting is, is, the, is the rule, while Whitney is the exception. And so again, while we may be surprised at the dynamics, think about the context and how plantations play a role, um, both historically and even now, in social life and in culture in Louisiana and in, in and around New Orleans in particular, then I think it begins to make sense. Although I do agree with you, Anita, in terms of the relationship dynamics that are explored within the novel, those do seem like a blast from the past in some senses. Um, but the setting, right, and the fact that white people are having parties and are um, having weddings and you know other occasions in the backdrop of such terror, that's not surprising because that's still happening today. Yeah, I was going to say amen to everything that Crystal just said. And also, I think that we sometimes like when when that that those two statements at the end of the of the quote that you read, like it was our plantation and no, it was just a plantation, both reflect kind of the complexities of the politics of the plantation today, but also the politics of the plantation historically, right? Because I would not venture to say that the plantation during times of slavery um, ever belonged to the slaves in any way shape or form but they were there and they were a huge part of the making of what the plantation was and and i don't mean in terms of the labor although that is a big part of it but i mean in terms of like the culture that they brought to the plantation and the lived experience that they had on the plantation so it was in a way it's, it was their home, even though it wasn't their home, right? It, it didn't feel like home, but they strive, strive to make it into a home because they had to live there. So I think like there's this kind of fraught and complex kind of reality around the plantation amongst white people and black people who were a part of the plantation economy um, since its beginning, because it really like forces forced them to occupy the same space 
to engage with each other in these like perverse, sometimes perverse, but always sort of these complex and and even sometimes horrifying ways. So I think like the the novel really gets at that and sort of shows us ways that that continues today. And I think if you're not a person like we're all from not not from the South, and so it's not uncommon like to in the South for people to say, oh, I grew up on a plantation, even though you know, it wasn't a slave plantation, but it was still called a plantation. And it was still a place where people worked on a farm who didn't own the farm, right? Um, even, you know, the, I'm thinking of like, you know, the, the penitentiaries in, in Mississippi, you know, it's called a plantation, <laughs> you, know? you know, so, um, so yeah, there's just like, it, there's this, this prominence of that, of that place as an, as a sort of cultural reality and idea. And then there's the complexity that comes with it in terms of like what it meant for the people who were staying there or who weren't you know not allowed to leave there yeah and i think your point about like you know it's still being a home right for the folks who are enslaved and like that complicated relationship just made me think about it. i was like yeah right like it's interesting that like that's where karen chose to go after they're like she like fled because of the hurricane right and then like she decides to like take her daughter and like go back right to like kind of where she grew up but it's like yeah like that's such an interesting thing to like think about like through like karen's character and like her like really complicated relationship to this place as home right and like her complicated relationship with her mom right and kind of that's um i think it's just like an interesting like her case right of like her relationship to this particular place is maybe kind of like a larger uh, like an indication of like that larger complicated like relationship that people had to kind of location and land and yeah. like place and so that makes me think about her relationship like a little bit differently just thinking about it in this like larger context well i was thinking a lot about her name karen gray and like that idea you know gray being like a in-between color you know like as between black and white or whatever and i think like she's in between in a lot of ways like she's in between in terms of like class she's in between in terms of race even in terms of nationality you know like in between the mexican immigrant workers and an american workers that she um is the supervisor of so i mean like i think like she sort of is that kind of she bridges a lot of gaps but that means that she has confusion and and, and mixed emotions about it all because you know thinking about the plantation as you brought up i mean she goes there in a way it's her home but in a way she's always wanted to get away from it you know so she's really kind of you know she's not settled on being in this place it's a it's a fraught existence for her and i think you know as much as she feels comfortable and knows she can do the job and all that stuff she would like to be somewhere else but she doesn't know exactly where that other place is or how to get there right yeah and i wanted to also kind of chime in with something that might just be obvious but i don't want us to miss it or not say it especially in terms of thinking about the setting of the novel I th it, it really is also a meditation on black people and land and land ownership and i think we're seeing um, it, that's always been important and i think black people struggle over refusing to be erased from the land and reclamation of the land um, we see throughout time and throughout space and throughout activists and community struggles um, but i think we are beginning to also see these stories come up more in um, fiction um, both in terms of uh, writing and in terms of television right because i think one of the things i immediately thought of when i read this book was i thought of queen sugar Right, it, and, and it, it tackles some of the same things and issues in terms of, 
you know, black farmers, black land loss, the the racism or the agricultural racism that happens in terms of capitalism, right? These books are, well, these these fictional creations are uh, tackling some of these same issues. And so this this importance of land and how Black people relate to the land, um, what it means for families, what it means for wealth building, wealth creation, what it means for generational knowledges and practices to be passed down. I think we see all of that that happening here and all of that is within the setting right, of this, um, of this plantation. And so I, I want to just state the obvious. So I don't think it's an obvious. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I think that's I mean, good I, stuff. And, yeah. Um, I did find that like the passage maybe like where she talks about going back. So I don't want to read that, but I do want to get back to your point, Crystal, because I do think that, I think one of my favorite parts of this book was like when she, when we're like learning about our ancestor and kind of thinking about like what you know, sort of the different ways in which people kind of came to understand their relationship to this land. And she definitely does, right, kind of by the end of the novel, just given what she finds out. Uh, but this part is when she's like, um, I guess, like fleeing from New Orleans. And this is 181. And she says, um, you know, so what they had, they packed into the car heading out early, early in the morning, Karen with that box of her mother's things, riding shotgun beside her. An interstate highway will take you all the way to New Orleans if you let it. But instead, that cut south from Baton Rouge, heading for Ascension and Bellevue. She had steeled herself for the reunion. She had prepared herself to hate the place on sight, pointedly refusing to be courted by a pretty picture or its pretense of an antebellum grace. And she had made herself one single promise. She wouldn't forget her family's generations of sweat there and how trapped she had felt by that very legacy growing up in the shade of these trees. Her original contract was for one year. The job paid well and provided a roof over their heads. The plantation was furnished and populated, and she thought it might soften the losses they'd endured, at least for a while. The plan was to sit out for a few months, to stow away in a familiar place until she could figure out what she wanted to do next, what she wanted for her life and for her daughter. It was only supposed to be for one year, but the place got a hold of her from the first day, the first hour even, and it surprised as much as it confused her to discover that she did not, after all these years, hate the plantation at all that she could not hate what was now and maybe always had been her real home, the way she came into this world. Mm. That was just powerful. But I, you know, and I, I do think that sort of the family's generations of sweat here, but yeah. So just also like, maybe we could talk about that if that's okay. Like about what she discovers about her ancestor, Jason, right. Who's kind of this like character who's kind of like it there, right. It's kind of like a haunting, but also a, I forget like a reverberation. What was that word that we used? Re- I feel like we were talking. When we, um, reverberation yeah. is that what you mean reverberation thank you yeah. <laughs> reverberation so not actually maybe i mean both the haunting but also not like mm-hmm. in a bad way necessarily right that, that she like discovers something about um how jason actually related to the land so just and also just like that time period right so it was like post uh, civil war right and reconstruction and like what we maybe that was like one of those other things crystal that you were kind of like maybe this doesn't need to be stated but i feel like it does need to be stated right because i feel like we don't think about kind of what that period meant especially in the south yeah you know i, I think that's that's probably one of the most interesting to me parts of this novel is that um this is i mean this novel is set on a plantation but really kind of the crux of the mystery doesn't happen during the antebellum period it happens 
you know, during the, during the Reconstruction period and particularly during the point in history where, you know, there's a federal law, the Homestead Act, that's, you know, giving people land and saying, if you stake a claim on the land and improve the land, which means building a house, having a farm, then that then you get the title and deed and ownership of that land. And I want to, I want to, uh, this is not a caveat or a side note, but just be really clear um, that um, Native Americans and indigenous people, right, their lands were being confiscated um, and stolen, right, because of the Homestead Act. So there's a clear, a clear um, connection right there between even between Black people's pursuit of land and, the, and, and what is happening to Indigenous lands at the same time. But so in terms of thinking about where this story is happening, you know, Jason, uh, Karen's ancestor, is trying to stake a claim on the land, right? And it's, it's his pursuit of that claim that then sets up the context for event what eventually becomes the, the mystery and the one of the mysteries and the stories of, of this novel. And so I think that also was interesting because we're not going back to kind of, you know, like formal master mistress plantation times, right? We, the, we are really set in this this period of possibility but then what we see about reconstruction is that is that it's this period of possibility but it's not um it's not a perpetual possibility right it's a possibility that then gets cut short because of the rise and the resurgence of white supremacy and white nationalism and so we're seeing that, that is you know the context that her ancestors are living in um in the shadow of slavery but in the possibility of, of construction that never really reconstructs anything i think or reconstruct something freedom <laughs> yeah reconstruct slavery slavery but i think that's a really great point crystal and i think it points to something about the novel that i think is that i like a lot and you were just basically talking about it which is that it doesn't let us forget the connection between the the past and the present and it reminds me a lot of um, one of the first novels. Actually, I think it was the first novel that we ever reviewed, which is Kindred. And in that in yes. that novel, it's all about the connection, mm -hmm. the unbreakable connection between you know our family histories mm -hmm. and our present. And that if certain things didn't happen in the past, we wouldn't even be here. And I think you know to bring the character of Jason into the novel sort of makes us think about like what. Well, how would things be different in the present of the novel if he had gotten that land? If they hadn't right. taken that land from him and killed him, I mean, things would be very, very different. And it also made me think about the difference between maybe how Jason and even Karen now think of the land as opposed to how the Clancy's seem to think about the land, uh, particularly Raymond, who basically thinks about it as a as a resource that he can use for to some other end. Whereas when when Karen's talking about it, there's kind of like, it's the place where my ancestors were born and lived for all these years, there's a different kind of connection to that to that land that the novel tries to bring out, you know, and, and I don't know if we'd say that's, you know, romanticized or something like that. But it's definitely something that the novel puts emphasis on, right? Yeah. And, and, and we think about Two points, when we think about Bobby's then relationship to the land and this really kind of this nostalgic yearning for a past that, you know, in his mind is where he wants to get back to, but was a really tragic and terror-filled past for um, 
you know, for folks. And so each person in the novel, each character in the novel has this different memory and mm. then uh, emotional connection to the land. And that is all playing out through what they're, through their relationships to each other and then their relationships to the land in very interesting ways. And then the second thing I wanted to say was actually a side note, um, Todd, because you mentioned Kindred. And by the time this episode is available, the series Kindred will be a, a, a television series. And so I'll be interested to seeing how that Yay. plays out on, on the big screen. We are looking so, forward to that. Yes. Yeah, and I, I feel like this, you know, notion of, like, people have, like, different relationships with the land. I guess maybe this is kind of a segue to, like, what I wanted to talk about. And this is related, actually. I hadn't thought about the name Grey. <laughs> That's kind of, like, being in between. But that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and just kind of, like, her relationship to, like, the different characters. And I feel like my initial read on it was, like, I was, like, I don't really understand. Like, why does she mostly have these relationships with, like, men, right? Kind of thinking about Eric, thinking about Bobby, thinking about Lee Owens, right, who's a reporter. But then Crystal, like, you kind of... You know, push back and you were like actually right she has a lot of relationships with the women on the plantation right including her mom and lorraine and right all those people but it's like a complicated nuanced one um so i guess I, maybe we can start there right like what his or like karen's relationship to like all the other workers who are there and particularly ones who were there even at like right like worked with her mom as well right obviously they're like some younger ones that she also works with but yeah how, how, how did we kind of how did you read it and how did you kind of make sense of it yeah that was one of the most difficult kind of parts of the novel in terms of karen's i think i mean we've already said it her she always to me felt like she was in a bind in mm. terms of how she was you know basically split right she um, she came from a generation of the workers on the plantation and because of her mom. And so she was connected to the workers on the plantation. However, because of her, her situation as quote unquote boss manager, you might even call her an overseer if you want to, you know, frame yeah. it in those terms yeah. that, that created a, a, a power dynamic, right? Between her and the other workers where she saw them, she saw herself as being intimately connected to them because of her mom's status as a worker on uh, the plantation and, and what her mother did, mm -hmm. right? And so, yes, Karen is a worker on the plantation, but she is in a position of authority, which affects how people relate to her, even though she wants to be intimate with them, right? And so when we were, uh, when Anita, when you were um, kind of thinking about the um, the relationships in the novel that that are more that we get more background and context on i do agree that right we do get a lot of background and context on eric and her relationship with eric right um but i think that's also because we need that to understand her relationship with her daughter which is a very important female relationship which then also connects to uh karen's mother Right. And so in some ways, you know, we see these these important gender relationships, right, as a way, you know, not only to push the narrative forward, but also to understand Karen. But they don't kind of really clear up a lot. In many ways, they just make things even more gray. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Greer. We have our theme yes. for the show. And the other thing is that, that um, we can't, like, we can't discount then, even though the woman passes away and is murdered, 
right? Inez, that's mm-hmm. like that's a relationship too because she first encounters her in a grocery store mm-hmm. and Inez is trying to buy presents, right? For her children who are away and she feels this immediate like sense of empathy and connection to her. I don't know why and the moment passes, but right then something connects her to her that wants her, she wants to know this woman's story. She goes to the church to interview the people who she was in relationship with. And so again, we get snatches and pieces of Karen in relationship with women. But I think that is telling us something about how she is trying to relate to women. Although we see that, you know, sometimes it's not reciprocated. It's really fraught. There's a power dynamic. But they, I think these relationships are there. And she yearns for them, actually. And she has to like occupy these different positions, like you're saying, mm-hmm. um, Crystal, that mm-hmm. she, she can she can move in the world of the women, the domestic space, I suppose you might say, on the plantation, right? right? Like with the women who work in that space. And then mm-hmm. when she has to go and deal with like the sort of power space, that's mostly men who are in that space. And she has right. to deal with that too, right? And that even includes her dealings with Eric, who seems to be like, as the lawyer, like when they're dealing with the cops and everything, he's more knowledgeable because he's he's a you know he's a practicing lawyer or whatever and she only began her law degree and didn't finish it and then i thought i can't remember like did she she didn't finish her law degree because she found out that the clancy's were paying for it right Do you right remember that? exactly yeah and so i mean oh, I it was her dad was it her oh was it clancy i thought it was the, it was the clancy yeah she oh. thought so she thought it was her she thought it was a combination of her mother and father but then she had a conversation with her mom in the kitchen uh and her mom was like it was revealed to her that it was actually the clancy's and that also like ruptured her relationship with the mom with the mom okay, right? right and then she didn't end up going to her her funeral right and that's the thing that she feels this great regret about yeah, I just, the, the more I think about it, the more I think, yeah, that whole idea of her being sort of like stuck in between these places, trying to figure out how to negotiate these situations and these spaces is like what her, that's her main sort of thing as a character is trying to do that. And then as a potential detective, which she becomes over the course of the novel, I mean, that's a maybe an effort to try to free herself from the confusion of those spaces, I guess, by you know, in one, in one way, clarifying what the actual relationship is, right? Yeah. I mean, speaking of confusing, though, I feel like I felt like uh, her whole relationship to Eric was just super confusing to me. Because <laughs> like, we find out that, like, she was the one who, like, cheats on him. But in some ways, he was, I mean, part of why it ended was also because he was, like, kind of indifferent to that, right? You, you know, I think there's, like, the moment where she's, like, I think the thing that hurt the most was, like, he actually didn't even seem impacted by the fact that she was, like, sleeping with other people and, like, all of that. Yeah. But then... But then he comes back and like they end up sleeping together. And I was like, I don't really, I don't know. I feel like I didn't really understand that scene. I mean, we were talking about how maybe this was like a little bit longer. I was like, that chapter wasn't really necessary. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we didn't really yeah. need that. that I mean, yeah, the, the, ro- the romance part of the, the novel was an interesting thing because it seems like, and, and you know, I'm not condoning or say, saying that cheating is right, but in terms of thinking about her rationale for doing it, is she wanted a commitment from him, right? Because because it was like, you know, well, he won't marry me, he won't progress our relationship, you know, what am I doing here? You know, so she cheats, and part of it, I think she wanted him to 
fight for her. And what happens is that she cheats and he's just like, well, now I'm really out of it. Right. But then we learn that he actually did intend to marry her and he had bought a ring. Right. And so then the question is like, well, dude, what were you doing? What was going on? And like the kid was five by then. So I'm like, okay, like, exactly. I don't know. I just, I found yeah. that whole thing just like yeah. confusing. Uh, but a quick thing yeah. I wanted to say, going back to Inez, like, I think that was the other thing that actually reminded me of Queen Sugar as well, right? Like, the, mm. the dynamics of these, like, migrant workers and yes. like, thinking about, you know, and obviously yes. in this case, it's like a, you know, a plantation uh, or farm corporation owned by uh, mm-hmm. white people, but like Queen Sugar, it's like a black farm, right? That's like hiring uh, Latinx, like migrant workers and just like the complicated relationships there too, right? In terms of like power and in terms of status. Um, so I was thinking about that because I think there's also that quote that I started off our episode with like, like R- Lorraine's kind of comment about like, oh, these Mexicans kind of coming in, like taking their jobs, but that's also right. Again, it's kind of this like yeah. larger economic status and structure that is not set by either of those groups. What, what's right. the name of the character in Queen Sugar who, you know, the daughter that comes from California, the one who's kind of running things? Charlie. 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 I mean, Charlie mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of um, Karen. Of Karen? A little bit like that sort of in between thing, right? Like Charlie's mm-hmm. thing is like, she's not, she's a half sister. So she's not like fully in the family, right? She's got a different mother, I think, than, than mm-hmm. is that right? And then, yeah, yeah. Um, and then she's lived this life of privilege and wealth, and so she's sort of like partially living that life, but partially rooted in you know working class um, background of the family in in Louisiana. So I mean, they, they, it seems like they kind of struggle with some of the the same things, or not not yeah. the same things, but like the same thing of being in between, of being caught between like sort of two yeah. ways of being and two ways of two groups of people or two uh, different places um, where they're most comfortable in, right? Mm-hmm. And that's so interesting. I just kind of just quickly looked up when Queen Sugar, the book came out. And so th- this at this book, The Cutting Season came out in 2012, it looks like, and maybe this is the paperbacks. I think yeah, that's okay, right. Hardcover, mm-hmm. 2012. And Queen Sugar came out in 2014. And so uh, just thinking about how in conversation they are, with each other and then i'm not actually sure about because i don't i didn't read queen sugar i've only seen the series and so i oh you read it so was the um was the migrant worker storyline in the novel Mm -hmm. okay so that was only in the uh in the film version oh in the tv version so that's that's a lot of stories like that like developed Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. yeah seasons and so right got you yeah so i was i I was curious about that i remember yeah okay well Um, I was going to just add one more thing to that uh, that I think, too, is, I mean, these two books and there's a lot of other sort of pop culture, cultural production that speaks to the reality of the great return, basically, of, of black people moving back to the South and the anxieties around like going back to the place where it all went down, you, you know what I'm saying, which is home and not home the place where you know the first home for black people in this country but also the place where all of this horror happened right so i mean i think that that's you know something that these both you know that show and this novel i mean actually sort of address in in some different ways that are really interesting and this is really happening people coming back to the south and being like okay now i'm gonna get re reacquire the land, you know, where my family was, or I'm going to get some land and and start to uh, re-engage with those traditions that we left behind when we moved to the city up north or whatever it might be. And people really starting to realize the importance 
of yeah. land in their lives and what it can mean yes. about being grounded and being rooted somewhere, you know? No, that that's such a good point because it, 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 in so many conversations around Black people's history and especially around migration, um, you know, there's, there's the story or the, 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 the history is that, you know, Black people in the South, they go from not being not being, there's not a straight line from agricultural worker in the South to industrial worker in the North, Midwest, and West, because there is uh, there is some industrial work that happens that Black people do in the South before they get to the North, Midwest, and West. But there's this sense that there's a loss of an agricultural root rooting that happens when Black people leave the South. And so in thinking about the return, right, it's, it's not only, you know, it's leaving or, or realizing that this mythic northern freedom land just doesn't exist. But that, like you said, Todd, that also there is some value um, in rediscovering and reconnecting to, you know, to the land, to agricultural roots, right? Um, because there's a loss that happens, you know, when you are disconnected. And especially in terms of, you know, not just work, but also faith and spirituality and healing and, you know, all of these things that are also that also provide sustenance when you're connected to a land, the land and you're and you have a sense of rooting that, you know, becomes difficult for black people to achieve outside of the South. Yeah, I think, too. And I mean, this made me think, too, about this is both uh, maybe both a function of black people returning to the South, but also part of the kind of contested nature of these spaces in the South, which is continuing to be an issue and of course like you know two three years ago we really went through this with uh, monuments and things like that where you know those yeah. things were being contested but this the the actual sort of story of the plantation is a con is still a contested thing i mean although right now contemporary historians almost all agree that the plantation was essentially a concentration camp like work camp you know a place of horror a place of exploitation but that hasn't always been the case and we get that here folks that don't agree with that oh yeah yeah i mean there's lots of there's there's there are places you could you know crystal was just saying like that that one plantation is the one plantation what i forgot what the name of it is but it's the one plantation that you can go whitney plantation that you can go to that would tell the story from the perspective of the enslaved all these other plantations that are funded by state and federal money um, where you can go to and go on a tour which basically either erase the presence of slavery or call the enslaved uh, you know family members or servants or something like that these ways of trying to erase the actual horrors that took place there that that is something that's contested in the book is donovan right who is making this movie that's trying to tell a different story is trying to exactly. is trying to 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 um, reclaim uh right. this narrative of of the plantation and at the beginning karen is she's not down with it right like she doesn't want him to do it but i think through the through the course of the book she starts to realize like let him tell his story let because maybe it's not just his story maybe it is the story maybe it's a story that needs to be told right yeah and <laughs> i think i was just like given like this return and given this right and maybe it was helpful to know crystal that this was written before queen sugar but maybe it's being inspired by like queen sugar because like the central story of that is about that family trying to reclaim their land right and to like keep their land and reclaim and keep their land i really wanted i guess a different kind of ending for this novel <laughs> i was really hoping that right once she finds out that like jason had 
right? Like stake to claim had built a house, which like got dismantled. I was like really hoping by by the end that like Raymond Clancy and his family would get there, like come up and thank you for the word Todd earlier. Uh, but doesn't, right? So just curious about like how we read her decision to just like not contest that and to like leave and go to Chicago actually, right? To move north as a way of like for herself at least, right? Trying to like kind of move out of that in between space. And so I was just curious about how you read that and what you thought about the ending. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think it would have been great if somehow she had been able to reclaim ownership of that land, you know, because of what her, you know, ancestor had tried to do and that injustice had been righted. That would have been great. But on the other hand, too, I mean, there is a way that by leaving and going to DC, she's reclaiming something too, which is like her original, you know, plan to become a lawyer and her family you know, like she's she's sort of charting her own path in the world at this point and sort of taking control of her life, which I think is something that while she was on the plantation, even though she was in charge of things, she wasn't really in charge of her own, her own life. And so I think right. in, in the end, there is that too. I think also the ending reflects kind of like the reality of the, that time when the, you know, of the time when the book is published and, and now, which is like, that would be a little bit maybe romantic to think that that could happen right because we we know that still white supremacy works in very very powerful ways to keep black people from um you know reclaiming land or even getting land <laughs> even even to like purchase land it is yeah. something that white supremacy um tries to keep black people from doing yeah and i think about um i think about karen's character and the evolution of her character and her character arc over time. And I think what I wanted to see in Karen was this fiery social justice activist who by the end of the book is like, I'm going to get this land <laughs> or I'm going to like, you know, become a land justice somebody in Louisiana. Maybe, you know, when she gets to DC and maybe if she goes to law school, like that could be her trajectory. But where we meet with Karen is really she's just trying to figure out who she is, mm. what she wants in life, what's her relationship to her family and personal history, how can she be a good mother to her daughter. And so she's on this journey that I think for her character to be thinking about land and justice and racism and white supremacy is new to her. And so I would not expect by the end of the novel that she would be like, okay, well now let me go get this, this land my ancestor had because she doesn't have she actually doesn't have the tools to do that mm. right she struggled with how she was going to respond and what she should do even during the novel in terms of trying to help donovan like she wasn't like oh let me help donovan get out of jail eventually she she tries to help him but then he's even suspect because he's like you're not in my corner so what are you doing like i'm good you know and so we just see her I think I had expectations for her character, but that were not actually written in the book, hmm. um, which made <laughs> yeah, that's right. All that I wanted a different ending, but when I told when I go back and think about okay, who actually is Karen? What yeah. makes sense for this character? Yeah. What happens makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's totally fair. I think that makes. I think. I mean, I did read it as like realistic, right, in a lot of different ways, yeah. but also yeah. I think realistic for like her character and yes. arc. I think that actually mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I guess the other relationship that maybe we can talk about before, um, kind of, I think we also just wanted to talk about maybe the structure of the novel and how it kind mm -hmm. of like, you know, mm -hmm. just her relationship with her daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and just, it's like such a complicated relationship, right? Because I feel like 
they're just moves that the daughter makes sometimes, which like I found kind of surprising in how she like describes the relationship. But obviously she's also like keeping this big secret, right? And so like trying to like figure that out. So I was also just like, wow, like that's, you know, it is like the most important relationship Karen has, right? It's like not an easy one and not, you know, and I'm sure I feel like I just felt for her when like her dad shows up and she's all like, daddy. Right? And that's just like, I was like, oh man, like that's tough, right? As a mom and to be like, why is she, you know, I mean, maybe it obviously makes sense from like the kind of the kid like perspective. But yeah, I was just kind of curious about how, what you thought about, right? Because obviously we have like two sets of like mother daughter relationships, right? There's like, Karen's relationship with her mother and then obviously her relationship with her daughter. Um, just kind of, you know, what you thought of that? What did you make of that? Like, how do we, I mean, and like Morgan in some ways is like key to like resolving the mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Cause she actually kind right. of was there at the kind of the um, scene of the crime. And so, yeah. What did you make of her relationship with Morgan? I, I actually, I'm, I'm thinking about near the end of the novel, you know, when she has this realization about Morgan, which is basically that I can't hold on to her too tight. I can't sort of make her believe these things or act in this particular way. And that, you know, because she really, I mean, I can see how Morgan, Morgan just wants to go to the wedding in DC, right? Her father's wedding. Like that's the thing that she's kind of um, on her mom about at the beginning of the novel. And then near the end they decide eric and and karen decide that she should go stay with eric for at least the time being and uh karen thinks that morgan's gonna be really excited about that but when she finally tells her she's not she's sort of like are you abandoning me like that's kind of the feeling that she... so i mean i think we see in that moment that that there are ways that karen has sort of misread her daughter and not really understood how she feels and and of course i think that would be you know, like totally true about any teenage kid that you just don't know why they're doing the things that they're doing or why that they're responding the way that they are. It's they're they're kind of a mystery, and this is a mystery novel. Like the maybe the biggest mystery is like how do you figure out Morgan and what Morgan's sort of feeling and how do you re- react and respond to those things. So I think there's that, but I I love that part where she, she where Karen basically says. I need to let her go because if I if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to lose her the same way that my mom lost me, you know, and I need to let her sort of make her own decisions and be free and kind of give her some space. And I think that's like the best decision that she makes in the book. And in making that decision, she realizes that, well, maybe Morgan doesn't want to just get away from me. That's not what she actually wants, right? That um, she's, she also is sort of struggling to find what is the right way to be in relationship with her mother because, I mean, dang it, that's just a that's a difficult moment in in a person's life, right? Yeah, and she's only nine. The kid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not even. Oh, I was teenager. making her a teenager. I'm sorry. We've done <laughs> like that before, young. where I where we make uh we make characters <laughs> older than they actually are. Oh, so this is on I think three ten and three eleven, where she so she says uh, she's gonna have to let her yeah she's gonna have to let her go, and she says to Morgan, "You're going back to Washington with your dad." Morgan looked back and forth between her parents. Why? It was not the reaction Karen was expecting. She stupidly thought Morgan would ask a few questions The same that the same girl who had been bugging her about a plane ride to plane ticket to DC for weeks would now just simply throw her arms around Karen's neck and whisper, thank you. She was not in any way whispered, uh, sorry, in any way prepared for the wounded look on Morgan's face. But you said I didn't do anything wrong, her daughter whispered. Okay, I'm not sending you away. I would never send you away. And then like later on, she says, Karen had never talked over her daughter's head or assumed that there were things that she wouldn't understand, had always been bothered by people who 
underestimated kids' native intelligence, but she didn't have um, the energy explained at all. But yeah, like that totally, right? Like she really did think that Morgan would be like, cool, like, thanks for- I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was a sweet moment where she's like, oh, like I have like misunderstood, right? Like how my daughter feels about me. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, in, in the way that humans do in relationships, I think Karen and Morgan, Karen's relationship with Morgan is Karen also trying to work out her relationship with her own mother, mm -hmm. right? It's not disconnected. It's connected and, and, and how she views and sees both the problems and possibilities of a relationship with her mother. She's trying to work through that then with Morgan. But when I thought about Morgan's character and Morgan's storyline, I thought, I, I compared and contrasted what Karen thought Morgan needed versus what Morgan needed, and then also what Karen needed versus what Morgan needed. And so in this in this post-Katrina moment, in this moment where Karen is trying to regroup herself, understand what they need, in some senses, Karen isolates herself where it seems that Morgan needs more social interaction. Yep. And so she be so Morgan then becomes friends right, with all of the other workers on the plantation. And then she's lonely. She's lonely living out there, whereas Karen felt some sense of refuge and return and some sense of comfort. That um, was not Morgan's experience. Um, and I think Karen, Karen begins to see that, which is one reason why she thinks Morgan is going to be excited to leave and go away. Is that, okay, she recognizes that, oh, what I thought would be helpful for the both of us actually wasn't so helpful. And so now this there's this opportunity for a change in environment. But again, she does misread um, Morgan's reaction because just like Karen and her own mom, they're really close, right? Mm -hmm. And and for they're both for each other of the primary relationship. And so why wouldn't Morgan be disappointed? Why would it why would also that why would Morgan not think that she had did something wrong? Why would she not feel like her mom was sending her away? Because they had always been so tightly wound together. So it just it just makes sense, Morgan's response. But I was really kind of just struck by Morgan's loneliness, right? And it, it, it also mirrors Karen's loneliness, although Karen thought that the solution to her loneliness, that they both had the same solution when it was actually different. Mm. They needed mm. different things. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And the idea of like, I mean, obviously she's like a nine-year-old child, right? And like, mm -hmm. like being alone is like not the same refuge as for like a, right? Sort of a grown-up yeah. trying to live her life. Yeah, um, she's alone living on a plantation, like this huge plantation away, like not even in a community where she's going to school. So she can't access the friendship she has. And, you know, like when you are, well, I don't want to generalize, but, you know, when I was going to elementary school and I lived in the neighborhood, you know, that meant I walked home with my friends. Mm -hmm. We stopped at the corner store. We went to the library. We just, you know, had you know, interaction and Morgan didn't have that. Her interaction were these workers or, you know, were these people who worked on the plantation, right? Um, but they were not her age mates mm -hmm. and that, that affected her. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Um, okay, so I guess I wanted to end with just, you know, this is a mystery novel, but I think we all kind of felt like the central mystery in some ways wasn't like all that compelling, right? <laughs> like the Underwhelming. <laughs> Underwhelming mystery. So in some ways, like, I think there's like a lot that we appreciate about the novel, especially in terms of like context and characters yes. and right, kind of like the things that were kind of in some ways almost around the mystery, but the mystery itself wasn't that compelling, right? And so in some ways, I think one of the things that sort of led us, I think, to think about is like, okay, like this novel, in some ways, is kind of this like meandering novel that, 
you know, in some ways it was maybe necessary to like set up the characters, to like set up the setting and to set up the context. But in terms of like an actual mystery kind of driving the plot, I, I think we all, I think I can speak for us, right? To say that like maybe wasn't as compelling as um, yes. we maybe thought it would be. So just curious yes. if, you know, you wanted to sort of say anything more about that just in terms of it being like a mystery novel, right? And kind of thinking about the genre, <laughs> the genre mm -hmm. of it being a mystery novel and how we thought about it in that realm. Yeah. I I think um, <laughs> I'm gonna like uh, we, we were talking before we started to record like how fair is it to keep uh, comparing everything we read to Blanche on the Lamb when we're reading uh, mystery novels, you know? So, I mean, I think that there's to a certain extent I liked Karen as a character, and that was good. But I think you know what you suggest is is true for me that I, I felt like the book was a little too long. I think I would have liked to see more of her detecting more of her on on the the case trying to figure out what was happening and in the end although we did find out the truth partially because of her insistence in a way like it didn't really come from her i mean it, it's really morgan who kind of makes it so that she even knows what to look for um she she is insistent she is brave she is you know she does things that maybe other people wouldn't do or wouldn't you know um, have the gumption to do so she does do that but I don't know. Yeah, I think there was like too much meandering in the middle to me. And there was, there's so many characters. I mean, if you think about Blanche and the Lamb, you've got this one really compelling character. Everything's through her point of view. There's only a handful of other characters and the book doesn't really care what the other characters think. Like you don't get anything from their point of view or even remotely like, you know, develop them that much. And yet you don't care because she's such a compelling character. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I like the way that the, actually maybe if something about Karen's job was, I mean, there was a little bit about it, like she knows the plantation better than anybody else. So that helps her to figure some things out. But I, I wish like maybe if like the research part, you know, or a little bit more of her law background had come into play a little bit more. Cause when Eric comes in, he basically takes that over. So right. I don't know, I guess I wanted more of her, I guess. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe it's my historian bi uh, bias that wanted her to be getting more into the documents, mm -hmm. the primary yeah. sources. And it's not my bias because you just that's what you just said. I right? agree. And so I really wanted to I really wanted more of a discovery in the in the, the library and the archives. Right. Like I want the mystery to kind of be unfolding and what she was finding in those plantation records and those plantation papers and that to to help expose more or yes. to be the source of more mystery i think um, can i just can i just say like yes. if this jives with what you're saying the mystery about jason while it is related it's not like foundational to the contemporary mystery it's almost like right. you know and we don't even really find out the answer to that mystery or not it's just sort of suggested in the end but i think it would have been cooler if jason's mystery had been the key to unlock the mystery with inez and it, in a, yes. I mean, in a way it is, but it's not quite, it doesn't, it's not quite, the key doesn't quite go into the lock, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't fully land for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think even to your point about documents, I feel like some of that was like outsourced to the reporter. Yes. Who I feel like was also this character that I felt like was like unnecessary, right? I feel like like all these things that some of the stuff that he was doing, like she could have done, right? I feel like yeah. she had the like skills to do it but it gets kind of outsourced to this other character who again right yeah. like i think just makes it longer and then there's like hints of like a potential romantic like connection between right. them and i'm like eh. well <laughs> she know? she does yeah. a lot in the novel to kind of throw us off the track 
partially I think because the mystery is not True. like super you know it's oh, not like right. it's not like super mysterious and like we first meet him you know we think he's an intruder or something like that you know and there there are a couple of other instances of that where she does stuff and to kind of throw us off the track and uh mm -hmm. to you know to lengthen I guess the the mystery yeah. itself and I'm kind of like yeah I don't think you needed to do as much of that as mm -hmm. as you did um I should say like I've read two other books by Attica Locke and this is May, I think this might be my least favorite one. Um, I read Blackwater Rising, which I really, really, really liked. Now, the difference between the three books that I've read is this is the one that has a female protagonist. The other two have male protagonists, which I thought was like, I thought that was what she did was her protagonists were male. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that I dislike this book or I don't like this book as much because of the female protagonist. I think I don't, the reason why I like the other books better, especially Blackwater Rising, is that it spends way more time like with the main character kind of like letting you get inside of that character and really connect with that character and you feel like is you and that character he's like a he's a basically a lawyer who's like sort of down on his luck and owes money and stuff like that and you, you feel like it's you you and him doing the detecting like trying to figure out what's going on mm. in the case mm. and so in that way you you connect with him as a character i think way more than you do with Karen, but there was potential here for that to happen with Karen. I just feel like it wasn't yeah. quite, didn't quite pan out, didn't quite get there. I mean, I guess we kind of said that about the central, you know, one of the central mysteries in Devil in Blue Dress too, right? The fact mm -hmm. that like Daphne is, you know, not way we're all kind of like, ah, eh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that didn't seem as compelling to us either. So it's just like, it's hard maybe to come up with like a very compelling like mystery that like really connects across these like different things. Yeah. Just, like, right. Well, maybe it's also coming back to Blanche and the Lamb because it is like so tightly, mm -hmm. like it's a good mm -hmm. tight plot, yeah. right? Along, yeah. we just love her as a character. Yeah. But I think it was, it was like a but good it's it's mystery. not like I wouldn't say like in terms of the mystery, it's not like it's a super difficult to figure out mystery or something like that. Like it's all complicated or anything. It's pretty, it's pretty conventional mystery. It's a mm. it's a murder mystery, and you find out who did the murder, and there's a little bit of like uh, you mis misperceive this or whatever, yeah. But right. I mean, I think what's more compelling about that, as we've said a lot, is that character and the fact that you know her political and social critique that she offers, and the fact that what she right. does makes her the best detective, and she did she de she discovers that you know over the this is, this is Blanche, right? And I think that's why I was sort of with Karen. I was like. Oh, I wish it was more about her ability to research, you know, that she'd learned in school and her legal uh, education that she started but didn't finish. And that was really why she understood that she needed to go back to law school because she, you know, saw what was possible sure. with her legal uh, education, you know. And it, instead, Jason comes in and starts doing it all. Or Eric, excuse me. Eric comes Eric. in. Mm -hmm. Right. That's yeah. true. That's true. That's a real missed opportunity there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, maybe that's a good place to end. Uh, missed opportunities. Uh, I still like it. Right. I still like the book. I don't want to. Uh, no. yeah. We found a lot that we liked. Uh, all right, let's do a round of what we're reading, watching, eating, listening to, whatever that uh, is either bringing us joy or that we want to like recommend that's compelling. Uh, Todd, do you want to start us off? All right, I have another one. It is a show <laughs> that I have been watching. Um, it is called 1899. Has anyone heard of this show? Yes, I've heard of it. Okay. So I started to watch this show. Actually, I think I, uh, by accident, I think Lucia and I started to, Lucia, my partner, we started watching it. And then um, for some reason, I think she was like, this is boring. And I was like, yeah, I also think it's boring. Um, but then later I was like, eh, 
maybe I'll start watching this again. So I started to watch more of it, and it was still boring. It's about <laughs> <laughs> it's about these people on a ship in 1899 that's sailing from um, Europe to the United States, and like all this crazy stuff starts to happen to them as they're on this this journey across the Atlantic Ocean. And then it just goes kind of like to all these sort of crazy places. Like there's another ship that gives a distress call. They get there. There's nobody on the ship except for a little kid. And then they bring the little kid back to their ship. And then all this weird stuff starts to happen and blah, 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 blah. So I will watch an episode and then another episode. And then I'd be like, man, ah, man, this is boring. And then I would watch another episode. And I was like, this is still boring. And then I would watch another episode. I'd be like, what's happening? I don't even understand what's happening. And it's still boring. But I watched it, I watched it, I watched. I got to the last episode, and then I was like, oh my god, this show is amazing, just in the last episode. So I'm just saying, if you start to watch this show, it's going to be like boring for most of the time, and lots of like repeated stuff, and you're like, what the hell's happening? I don't even know what's going on. What does any of this mean? You don't know anything until the second to the last episode. Actually, there's some clues that you might pick up. But really, it's the second to the last episode. And then the last episode, like the last 10 minutes of the last episode is like, oh, what the hell? So Is it worth it, though? Is, is all of that worth it for 10 minutes? That is a good question. I do not know. I think, like, I can't say. I mean, for me, it was. And now I's I'm just like, okay, yes. season two. Where's season two? Right. Which I don't two. even think has been greenlit yet. But, uh, yeah, no, I was like. I almost stopped watching that show seven times, you know, <laughs> and then I was like, ah, let's see what happens in the next episode. And, you know, it does sound scary, too. So I'm just like, no, thanks. Boring and scary well, at the same time. It's well, I mean, it's not really scary. I mean, it's not like gory or anything like that. It's just like a slow boiling kind of mystery thing. Like, what the hell's going on? The one thing that's interesting during those early episodes is that. You know, everybody in the ship speaks mostly speak a different language. So the the cast is like they're Polish and French and you know German. It's actually a German show. It's made by the same people that made this show called Dark. I don't know if you watched that one. That was kind of a hit for Netflix, I think. Um, but so the the kind of language stuff is really interesting. And you know, because I'm a literary scholar and think about language a lot, that stuff was really interesting. How it it sort of plays into the mystery as well. But I think yeah, you're gonna have to make your own decision on whether to watch it or not. But I will tell you, if you do follow it through, I think there's eight episodes. If you get to that last episode, you'll be like, oh, maybe this like is worth payout. this. Yeah, maybe this is worth it. Because it kind of, not to give, not to uh, spoil it, I am a spoiler, but not to spoil it, it turns into a completely different show, kind of in the last episode. Like, everything changes. I don't know if I can give, like, eight hours, like, six hours of my life. I'm not telling you to. I'm not telling you to. All right. Well, thank you. Well, you've already, you've already hooked us in with 15 minutes of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. The dubious recommendation from Todd. This is two in a row. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Uh, <laughs> Crystal, what's yours? You know, I, I um, watched two things recently, kind of connected, but connected, basically. I watched the newest season of The Crown, and then I also watched the Meghan and Harry, the first part of the, the documentary special on Netflix. And um, I, I was interested in watching it because I really want to understand 
how the royal family from 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 Mayor Harry and Meghan's perspective understood race and the racial dynamic. And that's really most of what it's about. But it was also very insightful to to learn a little bit about the context in which Meghan Markle grows up in, especially because her mom is um, you know, self-identified black woman. Meghan Markle identifies as a biracial woman, but uh, Meghan Markle's mom Doria really didn't you know, have the conversation with Megan about, okay, and this is what it means to be a Black woman mm. in society. And so that kind of shapes her expectations around how she's treated. And then also the racism that she expects or doesn't expect, right, um, when she becomes a part of the royal family. But I just thought it was very, very interesting. I thought what was also interesting is that Harry then, you know, is characterized as this like anti-racist was self-educated, anti-racist white man who's like, oh, I'm going to educate myself on what it means to be anti-racist and I'm going to whatever, whatever. So I just found that very, it all very interesting. And there are some a few more episodes that are going to come out in a couple hmm. weeks. So okay. we shall see. Um, I was like, didn't he wear like a Nazi uniform one time for Halloween or something? Was that him? I believe he, he did do that. That was, yes, he did do that. He did. They dressed he, up. Was, he was deeply, he was deeply sorry for that. Yeah, that was a part of the um of the documentary. He regretted that deeply. Okay. Okay. Well, good for him. I'm glad he's on his anti-racist journey. Um, <laughs> I guess How to be a British anti-racist. <laughs> When you're part of the royal family, that's basically colonized the world. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so speaking of colonization, actually, my recommendation is also a Netflix recommendation. I guess we're just all about Netflix uh, this episode. So there's a new movie. It's a Jordanian movie called Farha. And it's the story of a teenager who, like, witnesses kind of all of these atrocities committed by the Israeli Defense Forces in 1948 in Palestine. So that was kind of the year of what the Palestinians call the Nakba or the catastrophe because between 1947 and 1949, an estimated 700,000 Palestinians were either expelled or like fled right from their homelands. Um, and sort of now, right, it's about 80% of like the inhabitants of what becomes Israel. And it's like a pretty hard movie to watch. Um, and a lot of it, you know, basically she, her dad like hides her in kind of her family pantry. And like, you know, so she's like hiding there for, it's unclear like how long, maybe a few days, but basically she like then witnesses, right, some of the um, atrocities kind of being committed by the soldiers. And, you know, it's gotten a lot of flock from a, like, you know, sort of certain segments of the Israeli population, right? They were asking Netflix to like pull it and they haven't. So I guess, you know, yay, for, good for that. So yeah, I definitely recommend it, but I would also just say that it's just not an easy movie to watch, but I think it's like so important. I think especially, right, as an American who I think gets like a lot of like anti sort of Palestine, like propaganda all the time, just to kind of understand, like going back to that time in this history to like really understand some of the roots of like what's happening in uh, Palestine and Israel right now. So that is my recommendation. All right, so go watch lots of things on Netflix, depending on your taste and interests. Uh, <laughs> so, and our next book that we're going to be reading is uh, Popisho by Leon Ross, which was a recommendation to us from um, Elaine Lawless. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, so Shout you. out, Elaine. Woohoo! Thank you for listening and thank you for recommending the book. So that'll be what we'll be reading next. Um, so actually the next episode, well, actually by the time you hear this episode, we'll have had another episode out that's not about a book, but you'll sort of know all about that before you listen to this one. But as always, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places where you can find the podcasts. 
So please get vaccinated, get the flu shot, be careful, like, you know, check the CDC maps around how your county's doing in terms of all of these diseases and uh, have a good, I was going to say have a good holiday, but this will be like out after the holidays. So happy 2023, maybe yeah. by the time you listen to this. I'd say that's a safe <laughs> right. bet. There we go. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for listening. And as always, we're sending out big virtual hugs. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. You have been listening to another brand new episode of The Drip recorded from St. Paul, Minneapolis, and the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois. Our show is written, produced, and directed by Anita Chikatur, Crystal Bowton, and me, Ty Lawrence. We are the All Spoilers Collective. I've been a little late in editing our last few episodes, so we have a bit of a backlog. But our next show, which we have already recorded on Leon Ross's Popishu, should be out by at least the beginning of March, maybe before. It's a good one, so be on the lookout. And as always, in the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other.